Welcome to Gondrepreneur, helping Gondrepreneurs grow and succeed in every sector of the cannabis industry. Gondrepreneur will introduce you to the cannabis pioneers who are paving the way for future generations. Learn about the shifting landscape of the market directly from the experts and get to know some of the leading minds in the industry as they tell their story of struggles and success. Now, CannabisRadio.com presents Gondrepreneur. Hi there, and welcome to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose. The Gontrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today, my guest is Steve D'Angelo. Steve D'Angelo is a lifelong cannabis activist and entrepreneur with over 40 years teaching and bringing cannabis liberation to the people. He is presently executive director at Harborside Health Center, the country's premier medical marijuana facility located in San Francisco. He is also founder of Steep Hill, a national cannabis analytics laboratory helping to establish nationwide standards for cannabis medicine. His new book, The Cannabis Manifesto, comes out everywhere today. Steve is the gold standard in cannabis activism and entrepreneurism, and I dare say a hero of mine. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, Shangulus. Good to be here. So we're really lucky to be able to speak with you today on the day that your new book, The Cannabis Manifesto, comes out. It's a powerful reframing of cannabis, not as a drug to be regulated, but more of an opportunity for health that we've been missing for years. What's the message from the book that you most want people to be aware of? Well, I think the message is that cannabis is not a bad plant, it's a good plant. It's not a harm that should be tolerated, it's a benefit that should be actively promoted. One of the tenets of your book that I really identify with is that everyone is essentially a patient because cannabis holds some sort of health benefit for everybody, whether it's you know anxiety, acute pain, neurodegeneration, cancer, or simply acne or even boredom. What do you think it will take to transition the common American citizen from being suspicious of the plant to embracing it for all the good it does? Well, two factors. One is education, and the, a lot of the changes that we're seeing now are the result of you know, many decades of, of education. And then personal contact. Uh, you know, what we've seen in California is that now that we're 20 years into legal medical cannabis, almost everybody in the state has a friend, a relative, knows somebody who's used cannabis therapeutically and, and had very good effects. And that's really the key in changing people's minds, is when a trusted messenger brings them the message, when they see it for themselves, then they really begin ready to start shedding the stereotype. To what degree do you think that the progress of people learning about cannabis as medicine has been slowed since it's a schedule one drug here and a lot of the research has not been done in the United States. To what degree do you think that it's a schedule one drug hinders people believing that it can truly be medicine? Well, I think the schedule one status has a, it's hindered research because under federal law, all of the research that's been conducted with federal dollars has been aimed at showing the harms of cannabis. They haven't even researched benefits of, of cannabis. So Schedule 1 is critically important there. And I think, it's, I think it's also important in public perception. When you have the most trusted authorities in the country saying that something has absolutely no medical use, there's a lot of people who are going to believe them. 
One of the things that I really appreciate about your book is you approach it from a real human perspective. Certainly, you talk about the laws and the implications of the entrepreneurial aspects of it, but you really treat it as a human and a plant, in more of a Gaia approach, if you'd allow that. What has been your experience over the years with the difference between people approaching the plant as a healing herb versus a marketable product? Well, you know, where I would really, I think, draw the distinction is between people who see cannabis as more of an intoxicant, as a sin industry, more akin to alcohol or gaming or, or even porn, and people like myself who believe that cannabis is a wellness product, that it should be marketed and that it should be regulated as a wellness product. You know, this plays out in some very specific policy positions. One of the things that we've seen in many of the reform states is extremely high taxes on cannabis. And one of the justifications for those high taxes has been to discourage cannabis consumption by young people and by people who have lower incomes. And I don't think that's something we want to do. I think, in fact, when you take a look at the public health statistics that are coming out that show, for example, a 25% reduction in opioid overdose deaths in states that have made access to cannabis more available, that the last thing that you want to do is burden uh, this very, very good plant with a heavy tax burden and encourage people to use pharmaceuticals or alcohol instead instead of cannabis. I definitely think that that's part of the uh, the image that we need to overcome because you know people who are not familiar with cannabis medicine they just imagine someone smoking a joint but in most cases you know the proper application of the cannabis plant is going to be at at sub psychoactive doses to take care of the body not necessarily to get high and I think that's you know the the placing of a sin tax on it at the state level I think is is part of that yeah, sure. It, 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 it certainly is. And, you know, when we, when we talk about wellness, I think that it's important to, to understand that it's not limited to, to, at least in my mind, to things like um, cancer or Alzheimer's or epilepsy or even anxiety, depression, and insomnia. It, wellness certainly includes those things. But I believe that there's a great number of what I call overlooked wellness benefits that are often described by people as just getting high. And that includes things like extending your sense of patience, waking up your sense of play, sparking your creativity, enhancing the sound of music or the taste of a meal or the touch of your lover's skin or opening you to a more full spiritual experience or putting you in closer touch with nature. Uh, Those uh, are not intoxication experiences. That's not just getting high. We're talking about some of the most meaningful, precious parts of our lives uh, that are enhanced by cannabis. So, uh, you know, I think that that that's really the the main distinction um, in approach. And I like the way that you describe it because in that way it sounds more like the benefits of mindfulness or meditation as it is about getting trashed like some people approach it. Right. If you if you look up uh, intoxication in the dictionary, you'll read a definition that says something like to to drink or eat something that causes you to lose control over what you say and do. 
Well, cannabis doesn't cause people to lose control over what they say and do. Uh, and uh, anybody who's consumed cannabis knows that uh, very well. Um, and I think that, that once I talk to people and explain this concept, uh, there's a lot of people who realize that their own cannabis use, that they're mischaracterizing their own cannabis use. So, you know, I often have people who will come up to me at an event and they will say something like, you know, Steve, uh, I totally support everything that you're doing to get medicine to the patients who need it. And, and me, myself, uh, you know, I've been using cannabis for years, but I'm not a patient. I wouldn't get sick if I stopped using it. I wouldn't go to the hospital. And so I, I usually ask those people a few questions about their cannabis use. When do you consume cannabis? Why? Uh, what benefits does it bring you? And, and how is your life different when you use cannabis from when you don't? And I usually get a reply that goes, you know, something like this. Uh, when I'm using cannabis, or if I'm not using cannabis, you know, I get off work at the end of the day. I'm stressed out. I might be irritated at a, at a fight with my boss or frustrated because I didn't get as much work done as I wanted to do. You know, my stomach is kind of sour, my back is hurting, uh, I'm feeling kind of testy. I'm not really looking forward to, to getting home uh, and, and dealing with my kids and telling my wife about the lousy day I had. I'm not particularly hungry. And, and, and you know, when I get home, uh, you know, I, I, I eat the meal, but I don't really enjoy it that much. And uh, after the meal, I sit down in front of the TV and I pass out in front of the TV and, you know, stagger into my wife uh, in the middle of the night and wake up in the morning kind of leery eyed and not too happy. But with cannabis, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not testy. My stomach's not sour. Uh, I'm not impatient. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting home. I've got a great appetite. When I get there, I enjoy playing with the kids as much as they play with me. And no matter how bad the day's been, uh, I enjoy telling my wife about it and reuniting with her. Uh, the food tastes wonderful. My back doesn't ache. Uh, and after the meal, uh, you know, me and the wife have put the kids to bed and we have a little extra special intimate time uh, because of the cannabis. I fall asleep in her arms and wake up the next day uh, ready to go for a new day. Uh, now, if that person had gone to a doctor and talked about uh, an aching back, about a sour stomach, about um, uh, not much of a sex drive, uh, about being anxious, about being testy, about not sleeping very well, uh, they would be diagnosed with a whole range of disorders, uh, insomnia, anxiety, uh, depression, uh, anger management issues, arthritis, uh, acid reflux. Uh, low testosterone, uh, and would be prescribed a whole raft of pharmaceuticals. Uh, and we see, we see TV ads for these pharmaceuticals every night. And they've got a list of side effects that read like something out of a Stephen King novel. We need to take a short break there, Steve. I really appreciate that holistic view, and actually, um, it, it, that environment that you're describing is, is sounds like such a warm and healing place to be at the end of every day. Let's pick that up after the break. We're going to take this short break and be right back. You're listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gontrepreneur will return. 
Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh, my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Lose. And our guest this week is cannabis entrepreneur, activist, and author, Steve D'Angelo. So, Steve, before the break, we were talking about um, the best ways that people can integrate cannabis into their lives. And, you know, in the early days, though, there was a lot of pushback. And your first major cannabis event was a smoke-in that took place in Washington, D.C. that you put together. In those days, did you see the activism as a precursor of going forward into the cannabis business? Or could no one really see beyond just trying to get the plant liberated? Well, you know, I... <clears throat> I, I think that, you know, for me, cannabis entrepreneurship and cannabis activism have, have always been contemporaneous activities. Uh, you know, back in, in my days as a yippie when we were putting on the smokins, uh, you know, we financed the smokins by selling small amounts of cannabis. So it, it was clear to me, always clear to me, that there was a phenomenal amount of, of commercial potential. Uh, but it was also clear to me that, that the only way that that would ever be unleashed is if we changed the law. So it's a, there's a really fine line there between being a, you know, seeing yourself as solely as a cannabis activist and, and then being a cannabis entrepreneur. Um, you know, talking with entrepreneurs as I do now, I see a lot of folks being pulled in different ways from the feelings that they had when they were an activist versus how they're now feeling as an entrepreneur and concerned with margins and making sure that they can pay their rent and their employees when at the same time they just want to give you know, cannabis oil away to cancer patients because that's where their heart remained as an activist. I'm sure that you've run into this dozens and dozens of times. What kind of advice would you offer to activists who now see themselves moving into more of an entrepreneurial role in their community where they can, you know, respect where they came from? 
Well, it's, it, it, is a, it is a simple thing, um, but a difficult thing. What we need to do is build operations which simultaneously generate profits for our shareholders and return social benefits to the communities that we're a part of. Uh, I'm afraid that it's possible to do that with, with Harborside, which even though uh, we are technically a nonprofit under law, we are a profit-making organization. Uh, and, and and that's what needs to be done. But it's, it's, it's an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. And one of the things that we're finding in California is, is that as the competitive intensity of the industry heats up, uh, there's been generally a trimming back of a lot of the, of the social benefits that a lot of the nonprofit dispensaries have been able to provide. Yeah, we've experienced that here in Washington where we're recording from. And one of the uh, challenges that some folks have is that if they've come up through the, you know, the prohibition era times, um, they are holding on very strongly to their activism. But as the industry becomes more business oriented, there's a lot of folks who were entrepreneurs in other industries who are moving over into cannabis. And some folks are calling them carpetbaggers and, and other less than uh, positive words. But your work with the ArcView group is taking a different approach. Your approach is to embrace um, all sorts of folks, both the activists and the folks who are bringing their expertise and capital to the business. What kind of advice can you give for folks who have come up through the activist side in interacting with people who are, who are more comfortable thinking about business and uh, profit and loss sheets than having spent the time uh, – taking part in cannabis activism? Well, you know, we need to keep in mind that, that nothing is mainstream in America until it's in the mainstream of commerce. Uh, we cannot have legal cannabis in this country unless we have business people involved in producing it and distributing it. It's the way that the country works. So, you know, I certainly have some mixed feelings when I see folks coming into the cannabis industry who maybe have never used cannabis in their lives, who proudly say that they never would use cannabis in their lives, who may have uh, approaches and values and ethics uh, that are different from my own. Uh, but I also recognize that if we really want this plant to be legal, we have to allow the engine of free enterprise to, to do its work. And that means there's going to be a lot of different competing business models and a lot of competing brands. Um, my suggestion to people who come from an activist background is that you develop brands and you develop business models that reflect those values. And I, and, and I think that there will be many, many, many people in the consumer marketplace for cannabis who are going to be attracted to that kind of authenticity. And uh, there will also be plenty of other uh, new consumers who are coming in who uh, are attracted to other kinds of brands. I think there's going to be plenty of room for both of them. One of the things that activists who do want to go into business find that they like about these these newly arriving capitalists is that they bring with them this infusion of money. So maybe they need uh, you know, startup capital or they need growth capital or something like that. One of the unique things about how you started Harborside, though, is that um, you, use, you started Harborside with very little uh, original investment and then you did not need to take any growth capital. 
what kind of suggestions would you give to someone in a state that is moving towards normalization to help them uh, build their business without either A, having to take large cash infusions and giving up a lot of equity in their company or feeling like they have to give up because they just don't have enough money? My suggestion is that they focus on talent. I think that talent is a lot more important than money. Uh, I've seen cannabis companies who have have received pretty significant infusions of cash and not done a whole lot of great things with that cash because they lacked the talent to be able to properly execute on it. Um, I think that the very first and most important thing is talent. When I look at 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 the new more tradition, new folks who come from a more traditional business background who are coming into the industry, the thing that excites me isn't the money that they're bringing with them. It's that they know how to do all of these things that I don't know how to do. I've been focusing on cannabis for 30 or 40 years. I haven't been focusing on, on investor relations or fundraising strategies uh, or uh, 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 systems. Uh, so having these folks uh, coming in I think is is hugely helpful, and uh, the the new talent that's coming into the industry needs to be educated. So, um, and the smartest new talent that's coming in is acutely aware of that. So, my best advice to to the legacy cannabis businesses is that you identify some really talented, highly talented uh, people from traditional business backgrounds, and that you form an alliance. Uh, where there's an interchange of information and teaching, uh, where they can teach you uh, more about modern business techniques and strategies and tools and resources, and you can teach them about cannabis. A lot of these new cannabis companies, because they're being started on a bootstrap, and sometimes they're being started by folks who don't have much business background, they don't really have an HR department yet. And so you've got whoever the principal is going ahead and doing the initial hiring themselves, which they may not be you know, all too comfortable with. Um, there's a lot of folks who are applying for jobs who are just excited about getting into cannabis, but they may not actually have the skill set to back that up. And, and sometimes they have the skill set, but maybe their fantasy of what it's going to look like to be in uh, cannabis is, is more than their work ethic. You've obviously hired a lot of people. What would you say um, as an advice to, to someone who is hiring for their own cannabis business to kind of wade through the, the, the deluge of talent that's offered to you to find the particular people that are going to be best for their companies? Uh, hire an HR professional to help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is not something that you should take on yourself. Uh, you know, most people who come from a legacy cannabis background of necessity have had to remain rather small in order to survive. Um, and, and we have not had a great deal of experience in hiring uh, large numbers of people. And each hire is critically important, especially to a small company and a new company. One bad hire uh, can really set you back. And what I found is most effective in hiring is to look at a lot of different candidates, uh, to review them, to rigorously check out their references, and then to have an interview process, which includes actually assigning them tasks and seeing how each one of the candidates performs with those tasks. And what I'm describing is a time-consuming uh, process, and it's really best conducted with the help of a, of a, of a qualified HR professional. Uh, I'd say that the, that the cost that was expended there uh, would be well worth the return.
Yeah, that's some great advice. We're going to take another short break and be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gontrepreneur will return. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at KarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Lost, and our guest this week is cannabis entrepreneur, activist, and author Steve D'Angelo. So before the break, we were talking about the best ways to implement um, policies in a new cannabis business wherever you live in the country. Uh, but Steve, specifically, you live in California, and there have been some huge changes in your local uh, California cannabis regulations recently. How, have they, how are they affecting their, your business, and how do you see they're going to evolve over the next few months? So uh, the California legislature finally, 20 years after the voters instructed them to do it in Proposition 215, uh, has passed regulations for medical cannabis. So we will have finally state-level licensing for cannabis businesses, medical cannabis businesses in California. That's the good news. Uh, the bad news is, is that those regulations, in essence, uh, make success in the medical cannabis industry in California illegal. Uh, as they're currently written, you cannot uh, operate more than three dispensaries uh, if you have any type of vertical integration. Uh, and there's a mandatory uh, level for distributors, a, a lot of issues in this legislation. So we're hoping that the, that the legislature uh, takes a second look at it and, and puts some fixes in next session. 
We speak with a lot of folks from Humboldt County and other folks that would consider themselves artisan growers versus big, more, I guess I'd call commercial warehouse growers. Um, how do you see these new uh, group of regulations affecting you know, smaller mom and pop growers? Do you think that there'll be a way to integrate them effectively into the overall? The new regulations require that all cannabis cultivators sell their product only to a distributor um, uh, and not to anybody else. They make it impossible for small growers to do a farm-to-table operation, for there to be farmers markets, uh, for there to be bud and breakfast, for there to be a weed ranch type of model. Uh, so I think that, that, uh, that it's, a, it's a real step backwards for our small growers. I think that's a good point, too, at the, the impact that the legislative actions have on individual businesses. We don't really, we're not really in an industry where uh, you can simply run your business and you know, ignore what's going on in the legislature because the, the regulations are changing so quickly. Uh, in your experience, what's a good approach for an entrepreneur who is, is looking at their business and how to make it better and they, they kind of want to keep their head down, but at the same time, they need to remain aware and participate in the legislature? Uh, do you have any advice for, for entrepreneurs who are trying to live both? Yeah, sure. Look, there's always a problem for businesses to become politically active when it's one individual business. Uh, problem one, political work costs a lot of money and no individual business can really fund it. Problem two, uh, you're putting yourself out there and, and whenever you articulate a political position, uh, there will be people who are opposed and then your business uh, specifically becomes a target for them. So the solution to both of those problems is to support organizations like the Cannab National Cannabis Industries Association uh, or one of their state affiliates uh, who can really uh, represent uh, the common interests of the industry at large in these legislative processes. In your new book, The Cannabis Manifesto, that comes out today, um, you really talk a lot about uh, the opening up the doors for common everyday people who don't really have much of a history with cannabis to feel comfortable with it. And to a certain degree, uh, there's a certain amount of activism that, that, that creates for a normal person because first they have to go out and find out about cannabis and learn about what it can do for them. And then if they live in a state that uh, cannabis has not been normalized yet in, they're going to have to take some action at the, with the legislature to, to make that medicine available in their state. What do you recommend for the, uh, the normal person, the everyday American citizen, actions that they can take to help normalization along where they live? Well, the, the most powerful thing that you can do is pay a person-to-person -person visit to all of your elected representatives. Uh, that includes your city council, your county board of supervisors, uh, your congressperson, and your senator if you can get an appointment. Uh, one constituent meeting uh, with an elected official has more impact than uh, almost anything that you can do. Uh, so I strongly encourage people who, who do, have not met their elected representatives to do that. It's very easy. Uh, you just call up their office, say that you're a constituent and you'd like to meet with the representative and, and almost always a meeting will be set up for you. Um, the second thing that you can do to back that up is write some campaign donations to those candidates. 
that will give you the ability to call them up between elections and ask how things are going on your issue. So just that basic level of engagement, register to vote, know who your elected representatives are, write a few campaign donations to them, and make sure that they understand how you care about this issue. If every American who is in favor of cannabis reform did that, we would have the laws changed tomorrow. Well, Steve, thanks so much for being on the show, especially today uh, with how busy you are with your book launch. It's been a real honor to have you on the show. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Steve D'Angelo is executive director of Harborside Health Center in San Francisco and co-founder of both Steep Hill Cannabis Analytics and the Arcview Cannabis Investment Group. His new book, The Cannabis Manifesto, is required reading for all cannabis enthusiasts and all humans who want to feel well. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur podcast in the podcast section at gontrepreneur.com. You can also find us on the Cannabis Radio Network website and in the Apple iTunes store. On the gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcriptions of this podcast. You can also download the gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. We're also thrilled to announce this week that you can now find our show on the iHeartRadio Network app, bringing Gontrepreneur to 60 million mobile devices. Thanks to Brasco for producing our show. I am your host, Shango Los. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.